ASI247.org Attitudes of Sexual Integrity Season 4 Episode 17 How heavy heavy is it? Talk about it today on the podcast. Here's some Zach Brown featuring Chris Cornell. Seattle meets the South right here. That song had me thinking about this idea or this attitude or this coping mechanism that said that I am the captain of my own ship, that I am the only one who wears the crown, right? Um, That I am the one who is the master of my fate. Ever felt like that? Like you have to be the king or queen of your own little kingdom and run around with a smile on your face. I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm okay. And while the weight and and the heaviness is leaning on you, right? I've been there. I've felt that. Some of us have learned at church that, you know, repentance means that you turn your back on your sin and you turn your face towards God and then you walk towards him. And that's how we embrace and build this relationship with God. But how do we do that when we're stuck in in stubborn, uh, habitual sin that keeps coming back, right? What does that mean? Why is it even there? I used to sit there and listen to a sermon and go, okay, my will, his grace, that sounds good. What does that mean? I used to get so frustrated with this verse, but now I'm starting to understand that like, this is my go-to verse now. Um, it's Matthew 11 starts in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the words of Jesus. I used to, what does that mean? Right? Um, we're going to talk about some of that today in my interview with Eddie Caparici of Abundant Life Counseling, GA.com over there in Marietta, Georgia. Um, that bumper I played is from the Zach Brown Band, which is a country band from Atlanta, Georgia. And the singer featured there is Chris Cornell who is a lead singer of the band's 
Soundgarden, and Audio Slave from Seattle, Washington. So I thought that would be appropriate bumper music for my interview today. A few quick announcements before we get started. Uh, Mark Solomon's Never Was podcast. I put a link to that on the links page for um, other great podcast shows. I mentioned him in the last episode. Um, the band Crucified. Uh, links to their music as well as the Zach Brown band bumper I played there. Links to that is on the ASI247.org. Click on the music tab. Um, if you'd like to check out the music. As I talked about in the singles episodes, I put a link to those um, episodes on ASI247.org, as well as links to those personality assessments that I talked about in those episodes on the website as well. Also, this interview, as well as some of the conversations I've had over the years with listeners, has inspired a new survey called um, emotional word pictures of a secret struggle, right? If there was a photo album of snapshots of your life as a secret struggler, what would those look like? And that's on the ASI uh, page as well. And we'll talk about that in upcoming episodes. So let's get right into it without any more delay. Eddie Caparici. There you go. Heavy is the hand that wears the crown. Eddie Caparici, we're speaking over Skype this morning doing this interview, and uh, I'm always curious and, and wanting to learn and glean from Christian counselors, and, and being a guy in Georgia is to be interesting. Uh, I'm in the Seattle area, it's kind of a, a bit of a different culture, <laughs> so uh, I'm interested in what you're doing over there, uh, We, you and I exchanged some emails, and uh, uh, what's up, man, how you doing? I'm doing well, Russ. Um, actually, I'm a Jersey boy, to tell you the truth. All right. And, and been down in Georgia now for 12 years, though. And what I'm doing down here is I am a Christian counselor, and I've been in practice for approximately five years. And about 40%, almost 50% of my practice is with sexual addiction. So that's a, that's a big chunk of, of why people come to see you. And it's not necessarily that you're... You're a specialist in that area, but it's just the demand, right, of of brokenness out there that people are, big reason people are going to see someone is, uh, hey, I've got some stuff that I can't fix on my own, right? And and yeah. they're coming to you and going, hey, this is, uh, this is out of control. What do I do? Yeah, the demand is high, and it continues to get higher and higher. I am, however, certified in sexual addiction by the American Association of Christian Counselors. So I think that is one of the things that people look at because if we think about it, sexual addiction is something that causes a great amount of shame. Yeah. It is prevalent not just among, you know, non-believers, but also believers too. And I think they look at me and they say, okay, here's the guy who's a Christian counselor, plus he also has credentials in that area. Therefore, I think they look to me as a good fit for what they're trying to accomplish. Right. That's right. We need uh, helpers sometimes, and it does help to get uh, some outside. It, it, it's critical to, to get some outside help in, in some of these areas, especially when the behavior is, is outside of, you know, outside of our control. It's like in the, the steps, the 12-step system, when your life has become unmanageable, right, there's some good news in that. 
you are definitely correct. And in fact, last night, actually, I had somebody in my office who I've been dealing with for just a very short time, and he insists on taking the lone wolf approach. He, right. you know, will not go to meetings. He will not get a sponsor. But he, I can do it on my own. And if we talk about it, and we, you know, I said, so how long? Tell me the longest period of time that you've been sober from this. He said about four months. I go, okay, and now it's been, what, three weeks? I go, so you got another three months and a week left. Right. I go, but you know what? At some point, you're going to fail. I mean, we look at any sort of addiction, and we see that the people who have a support network, what I call lifelines around them, those are the ones who ultimately do better. That's because, right. you know, it's in that moment of weakness that we need to be able to turn outward to someone to say, help me. That's right. And don't have that available to us, then the, the chances of us falling are much higher. It's, it's that, you know, getting outside yourself, it's humbling ourselves, it's, it's reaching out to someone else. It's, I like to call it walking out your faith for real, you know, like we can show up at church and we can read our Bible and we can do all the Christian things. But if you're not gathering in a community of faith with people who are really living this thing out for real, I mean, you see that in recovery groups, man. You see people just reaching out to God. You see people getting, reaching, you know, faith levels where things are changing and and in their behavior and that's beautiful but it, you're right it doesn't man i i just pray that people would hear that that lone wolf kind of i can do this on my own and there's so much of that in american culture you know you you watch a movie like liam neeson and taken you know like he's just gonna go out and he's gonna conquer the world and he's gonna save his family he's gonna save his daughter he doesn't need anyone else it is so unrealistic but we crave man we lap that stuff up it's cool that the younger generations are 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 looking at some of these movies where, you know, there's teams involved, you know, like Hunger Games and Divergent and these these social networked stories that, you know, you can't do it on your own. And, and, and that's starting to become a really boring story as well. We are, we are told, if, if we go into scripture, that it is good for us to admit, not even that it's just good for us, it is critical for us to admit that we are weak. That's right. And because, go back to your point again, it is about humility. It's about being able to say, I, there are things I cannot do on my own. And that, and again, in our weakness, God is strong. And God gives us those resources. He gives us those outside now, people to be able to help nurture us. Right. Because that's what it comes down to. When we find that someone is about to fall, it's because they became drained. Right. You know, they are now depleted. There's the, all the pressures of the world, the pressures of trying to deal with their addiction, you know, the crisis with wife or the girlfriend, the job situation, and they are just drained. And if I tell my client, when you're drained, bad things happen. That's right. Amen. 
eat need to be replenished. And how do we get replenished? We get replenished when we turn to God for his sense of, you know, unconditional love and significance, saying to us, you know what, you are accepted, you're wanted, you're desired, and I give that to you. But we also need to turn to it in from the worldly side for those people who are going to nurture us, those healthy people who are going to give us that same sort of sense of, I love you, I accept you, I desire you, I want you, you're a good person. We get it from both sides. When we're feeling replenished, then we're most likely not going to wind up back again. That's right. Amen. So, hey, Eddie, I wanted to get into your story a little bit. Uh, I, I, we were chatting on the email about the survey page that I have on the website and having folks fill out some of these surveys is going to get inside, you know, the heart a little bit. And one thing I know about a lot of counselors, and I, I have friends who are, you know, pastors and counselors, and um, some of you are a messed up bunch. Like, you have a past that that is kind of compelled you to seek out this kind of work like a lot of some of the counselors I know like they've seen real heart change in their own lives and they're like man I want to share this like I I have a new definition of love I have this relationship with Christ that's not out of a book of theology or doctrine it's it's real it's heart level you know impacting and and so i had you do the the, the god and god and me survey because there's so much of the the religion stuff that can get our wires crossed and what it means to love and accept other people or um belong to a place without faking you know and and uh so tell me a little bit about your your background um you came from jersey and and now you're in georgia yes um again it, it's a it's a fairly long story i'm going to try to keep it really really short <laughs> all right i spent 25 years um in the corporate world i was a marketing and advertising executive working right. in major um advertising agencies in the new york area as well as then coming down here into in Atlanta 12 years ago to take on a role, a job to help to run an agency here. At least that's what I thought I was doing. Right. That's not the case. What happened was God brought me down here. Having been raised a Catholic, um, my wife a Baptist, <laughs> you know, when we came down here, she said, you know what, I really want to try maybe a different kind of church as opposed to going to the Catholic Church, but I really feel like that you could grow more. Right. Um, you know what? I knew God. I knew Jesus. That was it. That was about the extent of it. You right. know, I was, you know, one of those more what I call passive, you know, Christians. I would go to church, throw my money in the plate, and I would be done. And when I came down here, and we finally sat in a, several different churches, but I was in a Presbyterian church, and I heard. The pastor on that first day I sat in that pew said, you know, it's all about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right. And I remember when he said that, I turned to my wife and I said, is he nuts? What <laughs> in the world is he talking about? I have no idea what this is That about. was like an alien foreign concept to you. Right? Uh, absolutely. How do you have a relationship with somebody I can't see, I can't touch, I can't talk to, I'm not going to be able to hear Right. And anyway, to make a long story short, he changed my way of thinking about that, you know, got me to a point of where, okay, now I got it. I understand it. I'd never read the Bible before and started a, um, 
lecture where I read the Bible four times over two years, period. Uh-huh. So had all this great knowledge of God, but still the heart wasn't changing. And But what happened was God started to put this sense of a void in me, which I think I always had, this sense of, you know, something just not complete. Right. Here I was, very successful, had, you know, making money, had a good job, had prestige, beautiful wife, great family, great, you know, everything I could ever imagine. But yet there was a sense of emptiness within me, and I had no idea what that emptiness was. Right. And finally, what was happening, he started wearing me down, wearing me down, wearing me down. And I finally realized what was missing was him. Right. And I needed to really bring him into my life. And that's when I began that process. What I didn't know, however, was as I let him to be, to be more of my life, the more I gave, the more he wanted. Right. And, and the whole process then began of when I sat there very clearly, it was like, you know what? We're done chasing money. We're done chasing power. We're done chasing all those things. I have something different for you to do. Right. And I will tell you, I'll be honest, you know, I fought with him for almost two years. Like, because I didn't want to give up my stuff. I didn't want to give up any of this. So you were pretty good in the corporate world. You were good at making money. You were yeah. good at doing that. But it, right. right. That, that kind of that reminds me of that line from The Matrix where Morpheus tells Neo there's this, this like a splinter in your mind driving you mad. Like you know something's busted about this world. You know that there's something more. There's, there's something more, right? Yeah, exactly. And so finally, you know what? I gave in and I said, you know what? I, I, it's all yours. I, I give everything to you. And... Um, and he opened up the doors. I went back to college and I got my master's degree in counseling. I passed the national board, did all the other work I needed to do. And what's so amazing was whenever I hit a challenge in the road, as you will, on that sort of a new pathway, he opened up another door. Mm-hmm. Every time. It was just like clockwork. And even now... You know, I, I see anywhere between 25 and 30 people a week when most counselors are averaging between 10 and 15. Right. And that is all because of God. It's not because I'm a better counselor, but it's because he has blessed this ministry and he has he's been able to trust me with these people that he brings right. into my life. So that, you know, that kind of gives you my overall story. But yeah, if I was... I was kind of broken. I was just focused on the wealth and on the power. That's all I cared about. And for him now to use me, I, I still sit in awe at times, amazed. And I'm never more at peace than when I'm sitting in that counseling chair across from someone. Well, that's that's awesome, man. And that's part of, uh, you know, I'm impressed with your story because my gift has really not been making money. <laughs> like, I guess I'm a pretty good salesman, but I, you know, I'm not real educated and stuff. And and there's always that temptation to, to fall into that kind of businessy, being all about business identity. And and, and men in our culture, especially, it's it's real easy to do. Women are starting to get into that as well, you know. Yeah, but you uh, pick up in it because then the the more you have, the more you want. Yeah. The more or you keep pushing and you know and, and if after a while it becomes your idol yeah 
That's the gospel yeah. of the world. It's like every commercial. I mean, you sit down and watch TV for an hour. You're going to get 25 different messages on the stuff that you don't have. <laughs> and if you, if you had it, this would be like heaven. This would be awesome. You just need a new smart TV. And then your life will be fulfilled. And you're like, oh, I got to get. And then you go buy the smart TV. And then you're like, eh, you still got that thing, right? Still got that splinter. Exactly. It's like, what the heck? Um yeah. We could talk about, you know, all the different things, you know, when it comes to temptations and how, you know, the blocking software or the X3, the accountability software. Um, I've talked about a lot of that stuff in the past repeatedly, and I wanted to um, ask you maybe go in some of the, the relational direction of, of the roots of some of this stuff with you. As, as a certified counselor and um, as somebody who gets into the mud with people, um, where is the point, I guess, Eddie, say somebody, he, he comes in and he's, he's frustrated because he seems to be doing all the right things up here on the surface. Like he's, he's, he's got three accountability partners at, at his church and he's got, you know, the software on his devices and he's, um, he's doing all these things. He's, he's, you know, bouncing his eyes or, you know, watching his thought life, but he still keeps falling into the habitual habit. Um, where would you help? How, what would you say to someone if he was in your office where would you go to kind of climb underneath the hood when it comes to some of that behavior? What, I mean, what, what would you say to a guy like that who's like just frustrated because he feels like he's doing all the right stuff up here, but down in here something hasn't, the switch well, hasn't you're, flipped. You're describing 90% of the people who walk into my office. You know, people come in. <laughs> I get emails too, dude. But it's like, yeah. yeah, they've tried many different things. They want to stop this madness yeah and and you know what and some, some of the things that you've talked about they, they are good i mean the software that we need is, is good or being able to train our eyes important all those things are really valuable yeah they're but like the toolbox right yes there's a bigger issue that's here because sexual addiction like most other addictions is rarely about the sex itself yeah. What it is, sexual addiction is a way of either being able to push away our emotional pain and it serves as a distraction for a period of time or is used to soothe ourselves mm -hmm. because the pain is so hurtful. And we have to do what I call connecting the dots. And that is to go back and start to understand why did we, or why did someone begin using sex as a tool in the first place? That's right. Most of them use it because, oh, I just, again, it's sex and I'm interested in that. They use it because, and, and it's interesting, especially if you see younger kids, kids who, and I have clients who have been looking at pornography since they were seven and eight. Mm. This time it was boredom. Right. They don't have that social network. They don't have a lot of friends. These are people who are bullied very severely in school. And pornography was an outlet. It was an escape mechanism for right. them. 
to be able to go in and dive into fantasy, therefore forgetting about the real world for a time. There's something about the nakedness, you know, the nudity. You're seeing people unclothed. There's so, it's sort of metaphorical, too, you know, in relationships. Mm -hmm. If we have real-life relationships with other people, we get to see them naked heart level wise you know some people will let you behind the counter in their lives and they they feel like you're a safe person they they divulge their secrets they show a part of themselves that that they don't show the rest of the world that's part of having friendships you know um it seems like less and less people are having those kind of um relationships where someone has like walk-in rights <laughs> my friend yeah. paul young would say like you have a guy in your life who could just walk in <laughs> to your house open the door and go hey what's going on right uh, the, the, well, we're, in, we're in the business of changing hearts see the, yeah. the, the idea about all the different the toolbox the toolbox again are, are those mechanisms that i can use to kind of continue to help me white I'm just white knuckling it, okay? Yeah. I, I, they're important. I they're not. They're, but they're I not. Can't look at porn yeah. because I'm I'm restricted from it. Mm -hmm. I can't look at porn because there are barriers that are in my way that are preventing it. Right. That's not what we want to ultimately do, though. I don't want someone to look at pornography because I want them to look at it and say, "This is ugly." Yeah. This is ugly. I don't want this in my life. I don't need this it's in my life. Toxic. Versus, it's toxic. It's like poison. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Like poison versus, oh, I'm not doing it because there are limitations that prevent me from using it. Yeah. Or my wife doesn't like it or my girlfriend or whatever. That's why I'm not doing it. And it's got to be something deeper. There's got to be a deeper meaning and reason why you don't look at porn than that. Right? Yeah. Here's That'd something I've noticed, Eddie, and, and maybe you. Maybe you've seen this too. Something I've noticed is that when a guy tends to have that, it, it, I think I saw some of this in myself. I really wanted to get rid of this thing because one of the things that when I was in recovery that I really hated is that I wasn't in control of my own body and my own behavior. Like I didn't like that I was doing what I was doing. Um, I had to tear down my whole my whole concept of God and my faith. I mean, I just basically threw it out the window, and I still didn't like the fact that I was addicted to pornography. But I was still doing it. But part of, you know, part of that not understanding the heart level system to it was uh, anger started to pour out of me. And uh, talk to that a little bit because I know that a lot of sex addicts, anger is just right there. It's if I if I'm not doing this, then I'm angry. And and, and maybe you could address that a little bit. Why is that? Why does anger seem to own us? When the pornography doesn't, <laughs> right? Let's go back. Let's go back and look and talk a little bit. Now we need to talk about the brain and what goes on with addictions. Right. Okay. What you're doing when you're looking at pornography is you are getting high. Yeah. We're taking our dopamine and serotonin, serotonin levels, and we are elevating them. We're spiking the them. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so therefore, what we're doing every time we look at pornography, we're getting a shot of almost what's equivalent to morphine. Right. So now stop. Just stop. Well, what happens? You're depriving the brain of what it's been used to, right. what it's There's... been trained to. And what's going to happen? You're going to start feeling agitated. Mm -hmm. You're going to start feeling angry. 
you're going to start feeling frustrated. You're not, and, and most addicts don't realize what it's about. That the fact that you're changing the brain chemistry. And that's why we try to shut the brain down from any type of sexual stimulation for 90 days. Because what we're trying to do is reboot it. Right. We're trying to get it to a point where, okay, you know, we're detoxing it so that, oh, now, guess what? I'm, I'm better. I don't need that hit. Every so there's something about that 90-day window, right? That's the the neurological part that once you get over that, it's like I've I've been on the Atkins diet, and one of the things they talk about on the Atkins diet is is just do less than 30 carbohydrates um, for two weeks. Like you can't have more than 30 carbs a day for for a two week period, and 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 that is incredibly difficult to do because our bodies are like addicted to sugar. So, they, but what's weird how once you get over that two week period, the cravings start to go away. You're like, you know, why was I just freaking out over wanting a donut so bad? <laughs> right. So you're saying the 90 day window is sort of like that with the, with the Atkins diet, right? Like there's a chemical dependency in the mind and in the brain that it, it takes some discipline to get over that. Huh. Right. Our, brain, our brains are resilient. Our brains come back. You know, we'll go back to levels that they were at before, that it was at before we started with our addictions. And that's why it's important that we're detoxing mm -hmm. so that brain starts to understand once again that these inflated levels of serotonin and dopamine that we were injecting on a daily basis and, and many times that doing it multiple times during the day it's no longer needed right. because the brain has gotten used to it, gotten this signal of oh i need that right no no you don't need it i just been giving it to you now we're going to go without so that's why it takes that 90 day window to stay away from even engaging in sex with your partner we want to go the 90 days to say shut it all down reboot the brain and now, okay, great. The brain's not looking for that additional stimulation. That makes it so much easier for us now because the cravings are gone. Right. And then the, you have to start with a new kind of sexual relational foundation. And well, I wanted to. It can't be an act anymore. Okay. I mean, <laughs> think right. about it. It's a celebration. It's a, right? Yes. Before sex was just the act itself, the orgasm. Actually, let me back it's more than just the orgasm the biggest part of it actually is the fantasy that plays up in your head yeah. with them you're fantasizing the more dopamine and serotonin is rushing to the brain once the orgasm is there everything's done we're, we're finished we shut it down so therefore you know in that aspect of it again we're retraining the way we act right and that's where you know after that what I've seen and we start to get into the the muddy murkiness right the beautiful tragic <laughs> thorny yeah. yet gorgeous uh, 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 human relationships and and when the love dynamic um, comes into play I've been doing some shows on, on advice for for single folks and it's weird me giving advice to singles, but uh, one of the one of the things I've seen, and it's not just singles, but singles will seek out some of these relationships that 
can be unhealthy. And part of that is that dynamic with, with the porn addiction. It's like you said, seeing sex as something I need to get. And, and so we tend like guys, especially will tend to seek out a mate that will, that will give them that stimulant over, you know, looking at the heart level aspects of, of what a relationship should be. And that's because sex has become a central core of the existence. Right. We, we the reason people, for relationship, right? <laughs> yeah. You look at people who grow up in a, let's say, an abusive environment or maybe a neglected environment. Mm-hmm. They find pornography at some point along the, the way and they realize again, ooh, this let me escape from the pain that I deal with all the time. And what we need to do today, and then they take that into their adult worlds. Mm-hmm. See, the thing is, okay, it served a purpose, although it's not good, it did serve a purpose there, protected them right. in a way for feeling a constant sense of anxiety 24 seven, right. but then take it into their adult lives and they, they're thinking, oh, I don't have to continue to practice, even though the pain from back there is no longer, the people aren't hurting them any longer. But guess what? Now they're hurting others right. because of their thing. So what we need to do is be able to walk them back through that pain because what's going on today in their world as adults, see, they've never learned how to cope with emotional pain. Right. They don't know how to deal with it. So if something becomes painful, to them from an emotional perspective, instead of being able to embrace that pain, hold on to it, realize, hey, you know what, this thing isn't going to kill me. Yes, it is discomforting. Yes, it really actually it sucks. I hate it. I don't like it. But this is life. Right. Instead of doing that, they run away, jump back into the pornography because it's what they know that they can use as a distraction and also to soothe themselves. So we have to teach them how to be able to cope and manage with emotional pain and distress. And that means going back and looking at what that original emotional pain and distress was and being able to process it, hold it close, deal with it, grieve the lost childhood, push it aside, then let it go. And now as we move into our adult years, as we embrace new emotional pain, which we always will. That's right. Life Life is full of conflict and stress. Absolutely. But now what I do is I have the ability and I have the coping skills to be able to manage that pain. I'm not going to run away from it. I'm just going to be able to deal with it like a majority of people can. I don't need that crutch of pornography to get me through right and it's almost like you know an example that i was thinking about as as you were saying this is you know we hear about the bouncing of the eyes for example when when someone who's not our spouse if we're married you know not drinking that in not letting the fantasies run some of it's also when when a conflict comes up and we can resolve that conflict without freaking out without ignoring it or trying to push it away even though we know we're gonna have to deal with it like i was a horrible procrastinator 
for years. I'm still not the greatest <laughs> at solving things right away, but I'm getting better at it. And that's because some of the skills that I learned um, as, as a new way of doing life, as a new way of doing stress and conflict and when the things that I don't like come up in my life, uh, I can I can take it on a, a situation by situation basis instead of letting the whole thing just run together like an emotional disaster. Um, right. Well, but again, you like if we look at people who suffer from sexual addiction. It's not uncommon for them to have difficulty in managing conflict in their life. Right. Because again, their mo is run away. Mm -hmm. Their MO is find the distraction. I need something so that I don't deal with this emotional turmoil that is in my life right now. And it's the way they've been from the time they were, whenever they first got introduced to the pornography, up until their adult years. That's not healthy. Conflict yeah. is going to be in every relationship we have. There's nothing wrong with conflict. The idea about conflict is, can we keep it from escalating? Right. We keep it low. That's the point. Can we deal with it? And this is when I deal with couples. The other, another 40% of my clients are, or is uh, couples. It's teaching them how to communicate on a different level. Stop talking about the stuff and start talking about your feelings. Right. And when I start talking about how I'm, feeling about something, the fact that I'm feeling pained or I feel hurt, what you do is you set people back on their heels. So it's like what I call piercing their heart. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if my wife just says, you know, I don't like what you're doing, it comes across as kind of, you know, an accusation, which I could be then oh, tough. But if she comes to me and says, hey, what you're doing is really hurting me, well, then you know what? I, that's, wow. Right. <laughs> wow. That, that really... That's going to resonate with me because I don't. The last thing I want to do is hurt her. Right. So therefore, now I'm thinking much differently. Right. And this goes into to some of the um, relational stuff that I, I wanted to ask you as well. Um, there's an old there's an old saying in recovery uh, that my friend Nate Larkin, the pirate monk guy, brought up recently, and, it, and he said, you know, you, you scratch an addict, you, you get a codependent, right? Like, codependency is is something that we, as, as people who struggle with unwanted behavior, it, it's one of those relational things that maybe we learned in the past, or maybe it just kind of grew on us because of, like you said, neglect. Here's someone who loves me. This person becomes, like, ultimate, right? And they have to they have to satisfy that thing in me that craves love. How, how do you handle someone who is in one of those kind of toxic situations where their spouse or their girlfriend or boyfriend is their everything? I mean, where do you, where do you go with a situation like that? I mean, some people are in just abusive situations. I mean, I've talked to guys who, you know, it's, I don't know if they're, it's not that they're demonizing their wives, but they just see them as I have to hide from her. I have to put on this face. I have to put up this facade because if I don't, then she won't love me. You know, I've always talked about, uh, confession. It's one of those things. Like, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. 
you know, it, it like, again, like the matrix, I, I, I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. Um, right. so speak to that a little bit. What, what, this is the scary murky territory of, of getting into those, um, codependency kind of situations. What would you say to someone who's like really feels like that's their feelings. If they were to tell you their feelings, they would honestly say, I, I can't live without this person. What, what do I do? What do I do, Eddie? The first thing we do is we help people understand that we all love differently. Mm. That we have limitations. We have limitations in how much I can give in the way of emotional intimacy and how much I can receive. Right. Some are big in being able to give. What you're talking about there, that person who says, I just can't, I don't, I'll die, I'll just die if I lose him. So therefore, while I don't like the pornography, I allow it to happen. Right. Then, then it becomes a question of, okay, so why are you so needy? Why is it that you feel that your worth, your value has to come through a relationship with another person as opposed to just you yourself? And then we go back and we look, and once again, we are going to find littered along the way a bunch of emotional turmoil, pain, destruction, hurt, abuse, neglect that drove this person to believe I'm here to serve others, whether I get anything back or not, which in a way is a Christ-like attitude, but... I'll also put up with abuse. I'll put up with neglect. I'll be a doormat. And as Christians, there's nowhere that it put that we should be in our serving being doormat to anyone. That's right. So people have to understand, as I tell my clients all the time, we go back because I want to know why I do the things I do. Right. I want Because if I understand why I do the things I do, I am more likely to be able to change. Why is it that I think the way I think? If I understand that, then I'm more likely to be able to change the way I think. Why is it that I feel the way I feel? If I understand that, I'm more likely to be able to change the way I feel. So again, you're talking about self-worth. We're talking about how we feel about ourselves. Self-image, right? Like a Christ-centered self-image rather than something that the world projects. Right. But, but there are so many people who don't have that Christ-centered self-image. Even people and, in the church, I, right? I mean, even religious people. Because one of those <laughs> things, like I've heard, I've heard people use, like, carry your cross as a way to bolster codependency. Like that's, no, that's not what that means, you know? Um, right. Where, where do you go you know, with some of those? There, Russ, the problem is this. We, many people, do not see themselves the way God sees them. Mm. Okay? They think, and they, they're like, I don't know how, oh, I know how God sees me. God sees me as this wretched person. God sees me as this shameful person. God sees me as this very broken, miserable person. And God would want nothing to do with me. Okay, right. but that's I think that's not true. That's not the way God sees us. See, what right. we're doing, we're projecting the way we feel about ourselves onto God. That's right. That's what we're doing. We're projecting the negativity we have about us 
We're projecting it on God and saying, oh, that's the way God feels about me. Once we start to really understand the depth of God's love, and that's why I love Romans 5, 5. I mean, it is one of my favorite verses, although it just, it just, I can't still even wrap my hand around it. And the fact that through the Holy Spirit, that God's love is in my heart. Right. And therefore, I should have hope. But it's like, oh my gosh, if God's love is in my heart, how come I'm not oozing this? And, and more importantly, how come I'm not pushing it out to everybody? And why? It's because we're not tapping into it. Because right. we're feeling more about our type of love and the fact that we really don't love ourselves. That's right. So we have an internal conflict that's going on. That's true. And we, and we have to address that with people. So that they understand, once again, and we mentioned it before, our value doesn't come from others. Our value doesn't come from our performance. Our value comes from our relationship with God. That I am the prince of a king. That my wife is the princess of a king. And you know what? If you, if you really believe that, how much more stroking do you need? That's right. It changes your worldview. It changes the way you, the lenses that you see the the relationship and the world through. Um, one of the one of the things that you touched on, and one of the criticisms that I've heard of of counseling, right? There's a couple. One of the, counselors? <laughs> that's right. I don't want to go see a counselor because I have to go. Here's here's one, Eddie. I, if I go see a counselor, they're going to dredge up my past. And my past is a scary place. And I would rather not live in the past anymore. And I've got this, you know, I want to live a new life without having to delve into the past. And, and that's where um, the book The Shack is a great, beautiful um, example of a guy who... Uh, had to go back like the the shack I, I was blessed enough to to interview Paul Young the guy that wrote that and and he was saying that the shack is basically a metaphor for the human heart that we have to go into that place it's not that you're going into your past so much as it's that you're going into the deepest part of your heart and usually that's where the wounds are that's where the hurt is um that's where you don't bring a lot of people in right yeah so it, it's part of it's that, isn't it? It's not that you're you're trying to make people live in the past. That's not it at all. It's yeah. it's getting into that place, isn't it? Talk about that that sacred space a little bit, Eddie. What what is it with that that is so hard to get folks to to look at to walk into that rusty old shack? It is hard. It's difficult. And you know what? The thing we have to understand as counselors is we can't push people to go there until they're ready to go there. Yeah. So, for example, I have a, I have a client now who, again, you know, a, a very verbally abusive father, and therefore he's a very nervous person. He doubts every decision he ever makes. He's always questioning things. Therefore, he doesn't make a lot of decisions. Mm. And he is extremely reluctant. I've been dealing with him now for almost eight months. He's still reluctant to go back into the past. But you know what happens by my not pushing him there is that when we're in our sessions, things of the past start to come up that he brings up. Yeah. It's, what we call, it's what we call governing scenes. A governing scene is those maybe dozen, two dozen very painful events in our lives that 
either we do have recall of or that we've done a good job of putting what I call in this little black box. And what will happen is when you really give some thought to it, a governing scene will appear. And once it appears and we walk through it and we see, okay, this is not the way a mother or father should have reacted. Right. They were not nurturing you. Let's talk about what they should have done. Because what I'm doing is I'm helping the individual learn how to nurture themselves. Right. But they haven't been nurtured the right way. But you have to take, go back to your, your original question, you have to be, counselors walk with people. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, that my client is carrying a torch. We're going down this dark tunnel and I'm walking with him. And every once in a while, I may just say, hey, you know what? There's another little you know, outlet over here. Maybe we should look down there. Yeah. But, but if he's like, no, 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 I don't want to. I don't want to. I can't shove him down there. No, you can't. Because if I shove him down, I'm not only just going to get resistance. I'm probably not going to get a client to come back. Yeah. You can show him the door, but he's got to walk through it. He's got to walk through it. That's so great. therefore, but it's interesting if we continue, if he says, no, I'm not going to go down that path. If we continue walking down the one that he's on, at some point, he's going to start bringing up stuff that's down that other path. Yeah. And, and you know what? And I'm not even pointing it out to him. I'm just running with it. Right. And we go and we process. And after he's or she is done with that, and they're sitting there and all the tears have now flown and, and they feel this sense of, oh my gosh, I feel a little sense of relief. Mm. That's what I'll say, ah, see, you just engaged in a governing scene. That's you right. just look back. Uh, okay, now, that doesn't mean, oh, great, next week, let's go back again and let's look at more. <laughs> right. At their speed that will continue to do that. Yeah. Amen. That's the truth. Um. I've talked with people over the years that uh, have dealt with um, childhood sexual abuse. I wanted to touch on that a a little bit. I know it's not everybody's story. Uh, There was a statistic that came out of uh, Columbia University. I think it was a reading the I was like I've heard this this stat thrown around so I researched it and I found that it was uh, like 86% 86% of, of sex addicts have some form of sexual abuse in the past. And then I found that it was actually a, a survey done of women in prison. <laughs> so I don't, uh, that's, you know, that, that data is very accurate, but, um, there's a lot of folks who the sexual abuse, and that was part of my story. Um, you know, I was taught these lessons at a very young age, and I was taught the lessons of shame and hiding and secrecy, that that, that was part of my identity. And, and maybe you could speak to that. There's some folks who, you know, I've noticed on the survey page, there's some people that get up to that point of the survey and then stop because they're not ready yet. And that's okay. But what is it about that wound that is so incredibly scary to go into? I mean, I was 38 years old before I told anyone that I'd been sexually abuse Eddie it, it, it just because it was so it's so dark and gross I didn't want to go there the reason that it becomes so powerful is you have to remember that children are egocentric 
which means that they get this sense that they are responsible for things around them. Mm-hmm. They can prevent things from happening or they can make things happen. Right. In many cases, when a child is sexually abused, and this is another reason for going back and exploring mm-hmm. these situations, they take on a sense of guilt. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was responsible. Mm-hmm. It was my fault for it, what happened. If I didn't wear that little red dress that day, or if I, you know, hadn't led him on by, you know, telling him how, oh, he's such a nice person, none of this would have happened to me. Mm-hmm. And and then, especially when we have chronic sexual abuse that happens over the years, the shame builds to a point where, again, they take on the fact that, you know what, this is just who I am. Yeah. It's like they wear something that says, use me. Yeah. On their head. I felt like I had a like a, a sign on my back that said fuck me like that was my childhood i was sexually abused on a couple of different occasions right. and right. uh it was like you know i i hear what you're saying it was it was uh it was so shameful i i drank myself into alcohol overdose when i was 16 years old um i died for two minutes mm-hmm. um stuff like that like i i i just I was just so ingrained in that shame. I I learned the difference between shame and guilt. Like guilt, everyone should, like guilt is a healthy emotion. Like if you do something bad, you should feel bad. Like that's just normal, healthy human stuff. But shame is is like a cloak that we wear, isn't it? Yep, it is. Shame is one of the most toxic emotions that we'll ever experience. And it is something that, prevents us from moving on. Mm. It, it, as you said, I mean, here you were in your 30s before you were able even to ever tell someone. That goes to show the depth of the ugliness you felt about yourself. Because if I tell someone this, they're immediately going to reject me. They're going to think, oh, there's something ugly about me. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. But again, it goes back to where children are in that period of development, in the brain developing, in the personality developing, that they will take this on. I have a client who, um, she had been sexually abused multiple times. And so now she got into a situation where she was trying to trust a man. He took advantage of her. And as she came in to tell the story, at first she told the story about, oh, how bad she was and how she made this happen, blah, blah, blah. As we went on, it came to understand that really he attacked her. Mm-hmm. He didn't do any of it. But what happens is that their mindset is, oh, I am so ugly, so dirty, so yeah. bad. It had to be my fault. Yeah, yeah. I went back for it. That's what this guy would tell me. Like you came back for it. Like I didn't force you yes. to do anything. You wanted it. You you got yes. an erection. That's another thing for us guys. You got an erection, so you must have wanted it. And and then we start to believe that lie. You know. I mean, that's a big thing about being a Christian, having a Christian worldview. We get to know the difference between lies and the truth. Right. And that was one of those toxic but shame lies. Doesn't break through those lies. Yeah. That's the problem. 
Shame actually reinforces those lies. Mm-hmm. I mean, those people told those lies why to protect themselves, but they knew what they were doing was wrong. Wrong, yeah. But that shame that that people take on because of the abuse serves as like a cocoon, where what they're trying to do, as you said before, they're hiding. Mm-hmm. They're hiding. In that shack is where they are. Right? Yes. Exactly, and it's opening the door to that that scary but that shack. It's going into the great sadness, and just opening the door and letting God in. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But see, the thing is, they don't want to turn to God because they are, they look at it and they say, "Oh my gosh, God sees me," and he, and he, you know, he's ashamed of me. And that's why I go back to that's you know, religion, um, right? That's like toxic I, religion. Yeah, I go back to Psalm one thirty nine, and we look at the part where it says, "You know, you no know, God is light." Okay, God can't stand in the dark. He doesn't sit in the dark. God is in the light. And what God is saying is, you know what? Come and stand before me. Move out of the darkness. Bring your shame before me. Not so that I can shame you. I know that you have shame. But what I want to do is release you from that shame. Right. And that's what we need to get people to understand so that they can turn to God. But then just go back to what I said to you before. If I'm feeling so dirty, so ugly, self-loathing, I'm going to project that onto God and say, "Oh, well, that's the way God sees me too." Yeah, that's living in hell. It's like it living is. in hell, separated from God. Yes, that's it, exactly what it is. Yeah. It is like living in hell. I had to redefine love, Eddie. I talk a lot about that on the podcast. Is you know, what's the definition of love? The definition of love is Jesus Christ. We know that as Christians, we know, you know that's part of our worldview, and, and we can say that. But what does that mean when it comes to impacting that shame? Right. That's why it's another reason I'm a Christian. I, mean, I studied all these different religions, and and it all comes back to. God walked, God entered into the story. God walked among us. This is, this is the love that God has for God is that love that walks right into that shack and wraps his arms around us and just holds us. Right, Eddie? That's exactly right. You, you know, and again, you're going down a really interesting path because many believers can't feel or understand the depth of God's love, Mm. you know, but to understand, you know, the fact that, you know, God wants us, God wants us. Jealous for us. Yes, he does long for us. And again, it is our own brokenness. Is our own warped perception. It's the lies that we still believe that prevent us from seeking him at times, mm-hmm. which is what we have to do. We have to, because I had flying in uh, two days ago. Uh, I just don't know, and I'm not quite sure God's there, and I don't think. I go, so what are you doing to seek him? I go, he's in you, he's in, he's in you, but what are you doing to seek him? Well, not really anything. Well, I go, what? I mean, he may drop a cinder block on your head and get your attention. He does that every once in a while. But, you know, the easier path is for you to start to seek him. Yeah. Look around at what God is doing in the world around you. Yeah, what See, stirs your what, affections, right? One thing for me is just going, like, out into the woods and, and taking some time alone and maybe bringing a Bible and just being with God 
just alone in silence and in solitude, not isolation, <laughs> but in seeking God in, in, in that place, right? Go back, go back to shame. What does shame do? Shame isolates us. Yeah, yeah. It, does, it, not, it doesn't only just isolate us from God. It isolates us from other people. So therefore, while we may engage in a relationship, we will not allow ourselves to be vulnerable. We will not allow ourselves to be open. We will not share to the depth that we're supposed to share because we deem others as unsafe. Right. And that lie has to be busted open, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Eddie, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. This is all great stuff. Um, any final words for someone who's, who is the lone wolf out there and uh, they're, they're struggling to, this is making sense to them cognitively, but what would you say to give them a little courage to... Um, I will. Um, well, first I want to say thank you for having me on. I really, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this. Um, what I would tell them is to try to put their fears aside. Hmm. To, although, although they've been hurt in the past, there's no doubt people have hurt them in the past, that there are people out there who now want to help them. Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, they have to put the fear aside and understand that, you know, okay, yeah, we're going to go to a place that is going to, we're going we're to take that cesspool and we're going to shake it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, what's going to come out on the back end is a sense of freedom, mm-hmm. a sense of peace, a sense of contentment, a sense that we are worthy of being loved, mm-hmm. that we are accepted, that's what's gonna, then that's what you need to look at. Where can, what am I, what can I be ultimately? Stop looking at yourself of where you are now. Right. But there is hope. So therefore, to put away the fear and start just bringing a sense of hope that things can be different because they can. Yeah. And that that's the other aspect of, of shame. What shame says to us is things will never change. It will never get better. It's always going to be this way. It's my destiny. No, those are no. Satan's words. That's right. That's Satan in your whispering in your ear. But maybe Satan realizes, oh, guess what? I can't have your soul. But I know that you, you know, have given it to, to Christ. But boy, I can make your life miserable. Yeah. I can I give can you hell it. here. Yes, I can. Yeah, I can. there's a there's a there's a there's a song that that, that I like, it, it, but it, it's it's a dark kind of song. It's called Highway to Hell, ACDC, right? And there's there's that's something I wanted to to say too, um, kind of piggybacking on what you're saying is to maybe bolster some courage in folks that 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 highway is is a familiar path, right? You've been down yeah. that road before, man. You've been down it a hundred times, a thousand times, let's get on another highway. Let's yeah, get on another it, highway, Eddie. You know, Russ, the one thing about that highway, it's comfortable. Yeah, even, it's though, even though it's bad, even though I don't like it, it's what I know. That's right. And the comfortable <laughs> and the normal needs to be the enemy from here yeah. on out. It's that's not. Right. That's, that's what we're doing, right? I tell people, I say, it's time to do something different. That's right. 
time to do something different. But you know what? Something we are we are habit. We are creatures of habit. That's what we are. Yeah. And therefore, sometimes breaking out. What what keeps us from doing anything different? Fear. Mm-hmm. It's like fear. I yeah. mean, you look at anything that we're doing is negative. We look at anything that we're that we're reluctant to do. It's all about fear. And we need to be able to learn how to put that fear aside. Actually, what we, I want to do is I want to embrace that fear. I want to grab hold of that fear. I want to hold on to it and say, yes, I know this is going to be. That's right. Uh, flood, it, flood it with faith, right? Take that yes. fear, bring it into the light, and then flood it with faith. You know, yes. it's like a like a vampire it just starts to dissolve in the light you know analogy (laughs) it's very true all right eddie i love you man uh well thank you again and and i really appreciate all the work you're doing i mean you you are a godsend and i continue i'll continue to pray for your ministry and uh thanks people get a lot of uh, value out of this. I could certainly use prayer. Anybody listening, you know, I ask for financial donations. The biggest thing you could do is pray for me, pray for this ministry. Um, I've had folks who told me, Russ, you picked a fight with the devil himself as part of doing this ministry. And, and there really is, you know, there's stuff, there's hard times. There's things that come up and and uh, I could I could certainly use some prayer from brothers and sisters. And thank you so much, man. Welcome. For your kind words. There goes Eddie Caparici. Uh, AbundantLifeCounseling.ga is his website. That's John 10.10, right? The devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy, Jesus says. I come that you'd have life and have it more abundantly. And part of that is realizing that the battle's already been won, right? Like there's stuff we just carry around that we don't need to be carrying around that, you know, we we can lay it at the feet of Jesus. And hopefully this conversation has given you some insight into the depths of what that means, I used to sit there in church and get frustrated and think that, you know, a lot of this stuff in the in the Holy Scriptures and these ancient writings were just pithy and vague, right? But it's, it's, it's depth. Depth isn't vague. Depth is depth. And it takes some time and understanding and some heart to work to see, right? Jesus says that a lot, that those who have eyes, let them see. Those who have ears, let them hear. Um, I pray that you take some time this week. If this has impacted you, again, you know, spend some time with the Lord. Just get somewhere quiet where the noise isn't on you, right? And just in the quiet, talk to God. He's there. He loves you. He's the creator of your soul. He's the lover of your heart. And he knows. And he's close. And he, like a little kid, he can just crawl up in his lap. And he'll hold you and he'll love you. We carry so much weight when emotionally we're just little kids, really. Uh... I love you guys. I do mean that sincerely. I'm going to leave you with a song 
called Redeemed from an artist named Big Daddy Weave. And I love this song. It hits me in the heart. Um, brought me to tears. That interview had me just about in tears while I was doing it. And then editing this podcast, um, listening like there's wild stuff in there, right? Um, uh, leave you with uh, this bumper and thanks again for listening. Till next time. Bye. Seems like all I could see was the struggle. Shit.